Studies have shown that odor, smell, serves as a stronger trigger than any other sensory cue when it comes to recalling meaningful memories. I'm sure we can all attest to this reality. I mean, how many times in your life has a certain smell, a particular scent, triggered a memory from your past? To this day, there's a certain smell that whenever it comes into my mind, I am transported back to the age of five years old. I'm standing in a particular spot staring at the Christmas tree in our basement as a young child. Well, today we're continuing in a series here at Broadway that we're calling Christmas Triggers. In the middle of the Christmas chaos and consumerism, we're creating a way to remain focused on what really matters. And we're doing that by choosing three common visuals, three common objects that we constantly see over the Christmas season. And we're turning these objects into triggers for truth. You see, for each of these objects, we're attaching a one-sentence statement, a truth that will be triggered in our hearts and minds every time that object appears before our eyes. Now, last week, we focused on the classic nativity scene. And we suggested that every time we see a nativity scene, it should trigger this simple statement. That really happened in human history. We learned that the Jesus story is not like Santa, the reindeer, Frosty, or the Grinch. We learned that Jesus really lived, Jesus really died, and Jesus really rose again from the dead in human history. So then... Whenever you see a nativity scene, think to yourself, that really happened in human history. Well, today we're moving on to a second common Christmas visual, a second object that you are certain to see during the month of December, a credit card. Now, chances are you're going to be spending a lot of time with this thing over the next few weeks. You're going to get very familiar with the feel of the numbers against your fingers. You're going to grow quite accustomed to the curve of its corners in your hand. You may even find yourself reading the fine print on its back as you stand in line waiting your turn at the cash register. Now, we tend to have a love-hate relationship with these things, don't we? I mean, we love the convenience that a credit card can offer, but we hate the debt that a credit card can bring. One moment, they're our best friend, opening doors of purchasing possibilities. The next moment, they're our worst enemy, locking us up in a financial prison. Now, having said that, I'm not here to talk about finances. I'm here today to do something that some would consider to be an impossibility. How would you like it if we could turn this tiny piece of plastic into a trigger for spiritual life in your world? How would you like it if we could give you something today that would turn a lineup at a cash register into a holy place in your life? Would you be interested? Well, if so, journey with me for the next few moments as I'm going to do my best to guide you towards an incredibly life-giving truth, a powerful Christmas trigger, a trigger that you can forever attach to that little piece of plastic in your purse or in your wallet. Now, did you know that everyone in the world is living on credit? Did you know that everyone in the world depends upon credit just to survive? Now, some of you are out there and you're saying, tell me something I don't know, Darren, I'm swamped with debt. Others are objecting in your mind and you're saying, hold on, Darren, I may have a mortgage, but hey, I pay my bills every month. I'm not living on credit. And still others are out there and you're saying, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have a car loan, I don't have any debt. In fact, I don't even own a credit card. So how can you say that I live on credit? 
You don't think you live on credit? Well, take this credit survey with me. First of all, how many out there can claim that you have never, ever, ever done anything wrong in your entire life? Never, ever. You are faultless. Any hands raised out there? Okay, let's go to the next question in our survey. How many out there can claim that you have gone for several months without doing anything wrong in your life? I mean, it's been months since you have done anything improper. No volunteers for that option either? Okay, how about weeks? How many of you out there could confidently affirm that you have lived a perfect life for several weeks now? You have gone weeks without a fault, without a failure. No? No takers? Well, if not weeks, surely days. I mean, how many of you out there could safely declare that you have now gone days without ever thinking, saying, or doing anything that was wrong or improper or impure in any way? No one? There's no one out there who's willing to claim moral perfection for even a few days? Okay. Based upon our survey results, biblically speaking, we are all admitting that we are sinners. Now, what does the word sinner mean in the Bible? In the Bible, the word sinner means someone who has missed the mark, someone who has failed to hit a moral bullseye with their life, someone who has fallen short of God's intended target for their life. So if God's target was a bullseye, Someone who has sinned has failed to hit that target. They've fallen short. They've missed the mark. So then, based upon our survey results, we are all admitting that we are sinners. Now, by the way, our informal survey is only confirming what one biblical author wrote 2,000 years ago when he penned the words, all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the perfection of God. Okay. Personally and biblically speaking, we're all sinners. We've established that fact. Now on to the next question in our survey. How many people out there are physically dead? No hands raised on that one? No zombies in the crowd today? Okay then, by our own testimony, we have just established two crucial truths. One, we have all sinned. And two, we're all still alive. And that brings me back to my point about all of us living on credit. Credit is about delayed payment, isn't it? Credit is about putting off until tomorrow the consequences of my actions today. Walking away with that brand new watch should require that I withdraw $1,000 from my bank account today. However, when I purchase that watch on credit, I walk away with a watch on my wrist and I still have $1,000 in my account for now. But there's a day coming in the future when the bill is going to arrive and the payment is going to be due. Well, in a similar way, when we sin, we sin on credit. You see, the very first book in the Bible describes the creation of the very first human pair. It describes how God placed them in a garden and God gave them a choice. The choice to either love and obey him or reject and disobey him. And God informed them of the consequences of their choice. I'm quoting God now. He said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now read that again very carefully. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when, underline the word when, 
when you eat of it, you're going to surely die. See, the first humans ate of the forbidden fruit, yet they didn't drop dead. Why? Did God lie? No, God didn't lie, but we're going to get to that in a moment. For right now, let's focus upon this reality. We sin daily without paying the price for our sin. That means that we sin on credit. And to make things worse, our moral debt is growing. Now, one of the biblical authors named Paul described it this way. He said, the wages of sin is death. I like how the message version paraphrases this passage. The message version says, work hard for your sin your whole life and your pension is death. Now, what's a pension? A pension is a financial instrument that you pay into all of your working life. And what you put into your pension determines what you get back from your pension later in life. Well, that's the dynamic that Paul was trying to communicate in Romans 6.23. He was trying to tell us when we invest in sin today, we're going to experience death in the future. Have you ever seen one of those national debt clocks? Like the odometer on your car ticks off every kilometer you travel, the debt clock ticks off every dollar our nation goes into debt. And the last I looked at this debt clock, our federal debt in Canada stood at just over $1.2 trillion. And the clock is constantly ticking. We're moving further and further into debt at a rate of $4.5 million every hour. Romans 6.23 is declaring that you have a personal moral debt clock that measures your moral debt before God. And whether you acknowledge it or not, whether it bothers you or not, your moral debt clock is ticking before God. The story is told of a man who is given a heavenly vision. In this vision, he found himself walking along some supernatural street. And lined along that street, he saw millions and millions of clocks, and each clock had a name of a different person attached to it. And he looked at t intently at these clocks, and he noticed something very odd. He noticed that the hands on the clocks were not synchronized, meaning the hands on some clocks were moving much faster than the hands on other clocks. So he asked the angel that was escorting him along the road, he said, angel, what are these clocks, and why do the hands move like they do? And the angel explained that each clock represented a different person on the earth. And every time that person sinned, the hand on their heavenly clock would move. Well, the man then asked, Angel, where's my clock? And the angel said, oh, we keep your clock in the office. We use it as a fan. <laughs> Whatever the rate of sin in your life, the truth is the same. We all sin, we all sin on credit, and our moral debt is growing. Which leads to another sobering truth. The demand for payment is inevitable. There's coming a day when our bill for sin, when our moral debt will come due. There's coming a day when our moral debt will have to be paid. Years ago, I used to watch Dog the Bounty Hunter. Remember Dog the Bounty Hunter? A bounty hunter is essentially someone who captures people who are trying to hide from their responsibilities. A bounty hunter searches for people who have failed to fulfill their moral obligation, people who are trying to hide from paying what they owe. Well, did you know that the Bible describes a moment in time when God will send out his angels kind of like bounty hunters? 
It's true. The Apostle John was given a vision of what will come to pass in the future at God's final judgment. John describes seeing the moment when God will gather up all those who thought they could escape justice over the centuries, over the millennia, and avoid paying their moral debt. John describes how all will be assembled before the throne of God. And then John said this, And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. How often do you think about death? I mean, death is a topic that most of us would prefer to avoid, isn't it? Well, while death may be a topic that we would like to avoid, it's not an experience that we can avoid. Because since we are all sinners, and since the wages that sin pays is death, we all have death in some form in our future. Do you remember we spoke about the first human pair a few moments ago? Remember, God had warned them about the consequences of their choice to rebel, to sin. God warned them, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, when they disobeyed, why didn't they die? Well, even though they didn't drop dead on the ground physically, nonetheless, they actually did experience immediate death. Well, how so? Because biblically speaking, there are three stages, three types of death. In the ancient Hebrew mind, and the Hebrews are essentially the authors of the Bible, death is all about separation. And there are three moments when death, when separation takes place. First, there is spiritual death. This is when our spirits are relationally separated from God. Before the first human pair sinned, their spirits were relationally united with God. But when sin entered into their world, they immediately experienced spiritual death. Their spirits became relationally separated from God. Years ago, we had a little dog named Polar. Polar was a Maltese Bichon mix, a white little fluffy dog. And Polar was a cute little guy, and he loved my wife, Jan. In fact, everywhere Jan went, Polar went. We used to call him her white shadow. And when Jan was home, Polar was right at her side. If she sat down, he'd jump up, he'd cuddle up against her leg. In bed, he'd snuggle up with her wherever she was. Inside, outside, Polar was right there with her. And when Jan would leave the house, Polar would have anxiety attacks. He would be crying. He would be barking. He'd be sometimes shaking. He'd be sitting, looking out the window, waiting for Jan to return. You know, we all have a bit of polar in us. We all have a deep-rooted anxiety that's coursing through our souls. There is a longing for connection at the deepest part of every one of us, a longing that only God can fulfill. And we try to fill this longing with all kinds of things, with material things, with, with money, with sex, with adventures, with people. All of these things we try to fill that emptiness with, but only a spirit-to-spirit relationship with God can truly fulfill us. Listen, if you're listening to me today and you are not presently a follower of Jesus Christ, that means that this describes your present reality. As you're listening to me, you are spiritually dead. 
Your spirit is relationally separated from God. Sadly, however, the death train has more than one car on it. You see, due to our sin, our experience of death is not limited to the spiritual realm. Sin also wears us down physically as well until we reach the second stage of death, physical death. That's where our spirits are suddenly separated from our bodies. Just like a leaking roof eventually leads to rotting walls, spiritual death will lead to physical death. A moment arrives when our physical bodies cease to function and our souls suddenly depart from them. Where do our souls go after we physically die? Well, hold on to that question. We're going to answer it in a moment. We've learned that sin leads to three types of death, three separations that take place. There's spiritual death, there's physical death, and finally, there is eternal death. Our spirits are forever separated from God's presence. This third and final stage of death is certainly the most sobering stage of them all. This is the stage of death that's about to be pronounced upon those people we read about a moment ago, those who are being judged before the great white throne of God. Those are the people who all their lives rejected and resisted the love and the voice of the Spirit of God in their lives. So God is finally giving them what they've insisted they've wanted all along, to have nothing to do with God, his people, or his kingdom. So they are forever separated from God's presence. Well, so then, there you have it. We've all sinned. We all sin on credit. Our moral debt is growing. The demand for payment is inevitable. The payment that is due is death. And death comes in three stages. First, spiritual death, then physical death, and finally, eternal death. So, how are you feeling? Are you glad you connected with Broadway Church today? Feeling built up? Listen, I can tell you that I'm glad you connected with us today because this is where the story takes an incredible turn. This is where the Christmas story explodes into the history of humanity. This is why the angels were present that evening. This is why they sang their hearts out with excitement. This is where the birth of Jesus changes everything. And this is where we turn a piece of plastic into a powerful trigger for truth. You see, when you're holding your credit card in your hand, when you're pondering the financial debt that every credit card represents, Pause and ponder the truth of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is offering. John, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers on earth, described it this way in perhaps the most famous passage in the entire Bible. John wrote, For God, God the Father, so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, in the Son, shall, have, shall not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Which brings us to today's Christmas trigger. I am suggesting that every time you look at a credit card, you repeat this truth in your mind. Jesus Christ paid my moral debt. Jesus Christ paid my moral debt. This is what makes Christmas so special. This is why Jesus came to earth. He came to do what you and I could never do. Jesus Christ paid our moral debt. 
He took upon himself the price of our sin. He died in our place. Our moral debt was placed upon his shoulders and he carried it for us. He paid it on our behalf. Jesus Christ paid our moral debt. And now the choice is yours. You can accept his offer or you can reject his offer. What happens to you when you physically die depends upon your response to God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If you accept God's offer and invite God's spirit to live in relationship with your spirit, when you physically die, your soul be separated from your body and your soul will be transported directly into the presence of God, waiting for the day in the future when you will receive your new eternal body. Now, if you reject God's offer and choose to continue to live apart from the presence of God, then when you physically die, your soul will be separated from your body suddenly and your soul will be transported to a holding place where you will await the final judgment before God's throne that we read about earlier. Now, why would anyone refuse God's offer? Jesus Christ paid your moral debt. He offers you eternal forgiveness and eternal life as a gift. That is the good news of Christmas. That is the truth of Christmas. And I pray that that will be the truth in your life today. Let's pray together as we conclude. God, I thank you that through your son, Jesus, you paid my moral debt. The sin that I had built up in my life, the clock was ticking, there's nothing I could do about it. Yet you stepped into humanity. You took all of my sin and shame upon you and you died in my place. You got what I deserved. The wages that were due to me, you took upon yourself. And you rose from the dead because you yourself were sinless. Sin had no hold and claim over you. So you broke the power of sin. You broke the power of death. And now you offer your forgiveness as a gift to all of humanity. I accepted your gift decades ago and you have changed and transformed my life. And now God, I know you by your spirit are speaking to many people right now who are watching me. Many people who up till this moment have resisted and rejected you. Maybe I'm talking to you as you're watching today. That's you. Up until this moment in life, you have resisted, rejected God's drawing power, his pulling power in your life. His spirit is speaking to you right now. And he's holding that gift out to you. Will you receive it? You say, Darren, how do I receive it? Pray this prayer with me. Just agree with me as I pray. God, I acknowledge my rebellion, my sin, I have missed the mark. I have fallen short of your glory. I haven't hit a bullseye with my life. I have sinned. I acknowledge it. I don't want to live in that sin any longer. So I turn my back on that old way of living and I look to you and I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin, cleanse me and begin to transform me from the inside out from this moment forward. And would you give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision, even before my head hits the pillow tonight? In Jesus' name, meaning by his authority, I pray this prayer. Amen. 
If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. You are now a follower of Jesus. It's that simple. You accepted his gift. You've repented of your sin, acknowledged it, and you've accepted his gift of transformation into your life. Now begin to live out that gift by living in relationship with him. You say, how do I do that? Well, you can visit our website, broadwaychurch.com, and we'll show you some ways. Or you could text the number on the screen right now, and one of our pastoral staff will text you back. Now, don't worry, we're not gonna spam you, we're not gonna harass you, we're not gonna phone you. We are simply gonna text back and congratulate you and offer you any services that we can to help you take the next step in your journey. God bless you. I hope you'll join us next time as we conclude this Christmas Triggers series. God bless you. Thank you for being a Broadway Church today.